1: this, this is Sports Talk Mississippi, on your radio and in the game, right here on Super Talk Mississippi.
0: Middle of the week and what do we know? Maybe not a whole lot more than we knew yesterday. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along. Richard Cross and Michael Borky for a little while. Brian Scott Rippey will join us a little bit later. He is, if, if we were being really formal, Borky, we would say he's on assignment. He's actually just working on a, a story and had a couple of interviews that were going on uh, that were scheduled, uh, I don't know, for the next half hour or so. And Brian Haydad is dressed in wrestling garb on his way to watch wrestling in person. Wrestling or wrestling? I don't know. But he seemed really excited about it. He's had the ticket for a while, and nothing was going to cause him to miss wrestling in South Haven, Mississippi tonight. I'm excited that he's excited about that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm happy when somebody gets to do something that they really want to do. Mm -hmm. And he was most excited about it, I'm sure. Uh, Jason and a few others who also like wrestling will be anxiously awaiting a full recap when he arrives tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) The question is, will we give him the opportunity to do just that? Uh, you can text the show, C Spire text line, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. That's the number for you to jump in. Don't forget to download the C Spire Health app for a limited time. You can have an online visit with a, com- uh, a clinician from UMMC for just $29. That's available only to C Spire customers. Download the app for free, the C Spire Health app, and avoid the lines and the germs of the doctor's office. All you got to do is, uh, you know, I, I'm not suggesting this if you have a limb that has been severed or if you think you have an extremely serious ailment. If you need to go to the emergency room, go to the emergency room. But if you're just trying to go to like a local doctor's office because you don't feel very well, try this. It's easy. And for a limited time, again, $29, which is probably less than you're paying. Uh, If you've got insurance coverage right now, it's probably less than the copay you currently pay to go to the doctor, even if you don't have to pay anything additional. So you can uh, use the app, talk to someone, they'll diagnose what you're dealing with. If you need a prescription, they can send that to your pharmacy. You can go pick it up and never have to go to a doctor's office. cspirehealth.com for more info. Seaspire text line. The question is, when does Heydad pull the strap down tonight? <laughs> Richard and Wiggins wants to know if he's dressed like Jerry Lawler. If he's not, he's missed an unbelievable opportunity. Do you think he's dressed up?
2: And not like in a wrestling suit, but do you think he's wearing wrestling-specific clothes? He told us he
0: was not going to do that. Yeah, but that's what he told you. What do you think he's really doing? I mean... Couldn't you see him in like like an old faded hard rock concert t-shirt?
2: That or like, you know, Sting. I don't know what wrestler he used to like, but a throwback like graphic tee of his favorite wrestler? Yeah, I can see that.
0: Could see him in a a macho man Randy Savage shirt. Yeah, exactly. What are those guys? Yeah. Or the million dollar man or Rowdy Rowdy Piper, or I, I, that's about all the wrestlers I can name. I mean, obviously Hulk Hogan, but that's a little too mainstream. I think that's probably too, um, probably too hipster for Hey to be a Hogan fan. Although, I bet there was a time in his life where he was a bit of a Hulkomaniac. Yeah, you can't not like Hulk, can you? Uh, I mean, late 1980s, early 1990s Hulk, or like old, faded, bleach blonde, terminally tan Senior Citizen hawk. The first one. Yeah, I feel like everybody kind of liked the first one a little bit. Alright, we got a bunch to get into this afternoon, and you know that we're going to spend a lot of time continuing to talk about the coaching search at Mississippi State, but that's not the craziest story in the college football world t- today. Borkey you, you you said to me a few minutes ago, is the list of people that John Cohen has not talked to now shorter than the list of people he's actually talked to? I don't know. John Cohen told you last week don't believe anything until you hear it directly from him. Obviously that's not the way coaching searches are actually um are actually put together. Here is the craziest story of the day in college football. Are you ready? Georgia lost Jake Fromm today. And lost. He declared he was going to the NFL draft. No big deal. They also had an offensive lineman who said he was transferring. Cade Mays, who started 11 games this year for Georgia and is a really good player, has entered the transfer portal. And it sounds like he is most likely going to go to Tennessee, where his brother plays, I think, Nothing that unusual about that, other than the fact that you are leaving a program that has kind of placed itself in the top five category and doesn't seem to be leaving anytime soon. And it's kind of strange that you'd start a bunch of games and then be bailing. But again, that's not the strange part of the story. Cade May's father, on a recruiting trip to Georgia had to have his pinky finger amputated. Actually, his pinky finger was amputated after it got stuck in a folding chair. His finger was severed by a folding chair. His pinky finger, the part of it that was severed, fell to the floor. And who picked it up and put it on ice? Current. Arkansas coach, former offensive line coach at Georgia, (laughs) Sam Pittman, picked the finger up, put it on ice, and now the Mays family is suing the University of Georgia and the chair manufacturer. What are you suing Georgia for?
2: I get the chair manufacturer,
0: but... Part of the lawsuit reads, as a result, plaintiff Kevin Mays' right pinky finger was partially amputated as the subject folding chair wedged against the column his finger uh, severed finger shot across the floor <laughs> oh, UGA God. offensive line coach Sam Pickman uh, Pittman picked up plaintiff Kevin Mays 7 fi- uh, severed finger from the floor and it was put on ice plaintiff Kevin Mays was transported to Piedmont Hospital in Athens for treatment where he was diagnosed with partial amputation and fracture involving the fifth distal phalanx of the right hand. Plaintiff Kevin uh, Mays is right-handed. At the emergency room, his pain level on a scale of 1 to 10 was a 10.
2: Still doesn't explain why you sued Georgia for this. Because when
0: you sue people, you sue people that have money. Yeah, I mean... It happened at Georgia. He's going to claim negligence on the part of the University of Georgia or the University of Georgia Athletics Association or the recruiting office or the custodial staff to put the chairs out. You know, some something. Without knowing him personally, that sounds like a loser
2: move right there. Like, I get the chair manufacturer, but... I, and I guess maybe you need money, but come on, man. It's not Georgia's fault you cut your finger. It's a freak accident, but it's... Uh, what would you have liked them to have done differently?
0: Can can, can Twitter be the both, both the best place on Earth and the worst place on Earth all at the same time? Yeah, it's like Las Vegas or New Orleans. So, immediately following this story that was put out by Raddy Nabulsi, who works at UGA Sports.com, that's the rival site at Georgia... The first response, quote, can you put this finger on ice, close quote, with a gift below it? You know what the g- gift below it is? Yes, sir. <laughs> it's beautiful. Uh. So that is the craziest story of the day. And it sounds like maybe Tennessee is going to get a really good offensive lineman. Sounds like that is uh, where this thing is headed. Uh, Here we go. C Spire text line. I feel bad for the guy that now has to be on chair duty at every university. Here we go. Now that's a wrestling story. (laughs) Indeed. Indeed it is. Sports Talk Mississippi. Glad to have you along on this, this Wednesday afternoon. So hey dad texted me last night. He said the Sark rumor is really hot right now. And so as we have done with multiple candidates since last Thursday or Friday, everybody has honed in on a specific guy and has been convinced it's done, this is going to be the guy, only to find out that it's not done. It might end up being the guy, but... The flavor of the day is not the guy just yet. Let's talk about the names that are out there, what's going on with Mississippi State. We'll talk with Aaron Suttles on the Farm Bureau guest line coming up about 20 minutes from right now. Later this afternoon, Rob Fisher from the Memphis Grizzlies and Grind City Media will join us. We'll talk some NBA with him. And John Harris from the Houston Texans in the 5 o'clock hour. Big show for you today, Sports Talk Mississippi. Coming up in just a little bit, Aaron Suttles from Three Man Front on WJOX in Birmingham also covers Alabama for the Athletic. That'll be on the Farm Bureau phone line later in the show. Talk some NBA with Rob Fisher from Memphis. NFL playoffs with John Harris from Houston. Lots of coaching stuff, uh, coaching search stuff. Borky, I love how you uh, how you phrased it. Old Miss hoops allegedly played a game last night. Yeah, it's hard to tell if that's actually what that was. Who? That was hard to watch. Mississippi State's got a basketball game tonight in Tuscaloosa. Tom Brady goes to Instagram and posts a semi-cryptic message, can we learn anything from it? What are the Saints going to do about quarterback next year? they got three of them, and all three of them to some degree are free agents this offseason. Jake Fromm's headed to the NFL, and a whole lot more coming up with you this afternoon. But let's start with the coaching search stuff. Uh, Last night, Aaron Suttles, the aforementioned, tweeted that there was mutual interest between Steve Sarkeesian and uh, Mississippi State. Hey, Dad and I were texting on Friday night of last week. I'm going to tell you exactly the text that I sent. him. I'm going to read it to you verbatim. Let's see here. Probably should have pulled that up already, but here we are. So this was Friday night, 1054 p.m. I was in Nashville at the time. Actually, I sent the original text at 1051. I said, not that this is groundbreaking, but names worth keeping an eye on. Again, this was Friday night. Todd Grantham, parentheses, probably leading candidate at this point for what it's worth. Close parentheses. Which may or may not have been true. It's just what I was told. Gene Chizik, Jeff Munken, maybe Bill Clark, and Steve Sarkeesian. Though not sure how much interest there is at this point in either direction. That was a text I sent to Hey Dad last night. So that was, you know, four or five days before... His name really started being thrown around out there. What do you think of the... Uh, we talked some about this yesterday, not in great detail. What do you think about the idea of Sark in Starkville? Um, a- a- aside from the insufferable, welcome to fabulous Sark, Vesa, Sark Vegas stuff that you'll get from that? Sarkville, Sark Vegas, yeah, that'll be... uh
2: a <laughs> merchandiser's dream. Um, I'm interested by it, though. I think when you're looking at the the candidate pool left, and now apparently Mike Leach has entered into the fold and uh, might change my thinking on it, I think at, at this point on January 8th, this late in the game, if his I's are dotted and his T's are crossed with his, his personal stuff, uh, it'd be a nice hire at this point in the game for sure. Uh, w- What he did at Washington, if you just look at the record on the surface, is not uh, eye-opening, especially when Chris Peterson took over and won at a higher level. He took over a program that was in bad shape and won consistently there. Uh, He went to Southern Cal and the personal issues came about. But I don't think it's deniable that he is a football coach and one that has a good football mind and would be a good X's and O's guy. The the question that John Cohen would have to answer and maybe – would have to answer it to university leadership is whether or not the personal stuff is behind him. Because if those uh, T's are not crossed and those I's are not dotted, um, you can ill afford to fire Joe Moorhead after uh, going to two bowl games and beating Ole Miss twice and hire somebody that has another issue like the one that he had at Southern Cal. By all accounts, that's behind him. But it's worth noting that this is the first time that he would be a head coach, that mm-hmm. he would be in complete control of his own program since that happened at Southern Cal. So if he's behind it, if or if it's behind him, and, and he's he's better, and the personal stuff has been worked out, and he's just ready to coach ball, then it's a nice hire at this
0: point in the game. But if there's... Ty Willingham was the head coach at Washington before Sark. He went two and nine, five and seven, four and nine, zero and twelve, zero and twelve in two thousand eight. Sarkisian was hired starting with the two thousand nine season, and in four years he went five and seven, seven and six, seven and six, seven and six, and then eight and four, and got the Southern Cal job. Marcus to Tui- a coached the bowl game.
2: Nice pronunciation.
0: Yeah, thank you. And, and everybody says, well, and then Chris Peterson took over a, a program that was in great shape after the fact. It was certainly in better shape than when Sark inherited it from Willingham. but in the first two years that Peterson was at Washington, they went eight and six and seven and six. It wasn't until 2016 that that program really took a jump 12 and two ten and three, ten and four, eight and five and that 12, 10 and 10 win seasons were with uh, Jake Browning as the quarterback at Washington.
2: Yeah. And I guess aside from the personal stuff, uh, the questions about the ability to recruit in this area, I mean, he went to BYU. He's a West Coast guy. Would he be able to uh, establish relationships and and be a fit here? Because that's Joe Moorhead's biggest problem, right? Uh, I mean, he's already in line and potentially going to be the offensive coordinator at Oregon. I know he had Saquon Barkley and stuff, but everybody talks about how great offensive mind Joe Moorhead is but I think we can all agree, it just it didn't fit. So are you going to hire another really good offensive mind with no real ties to the area other than working for Nick Saban for a couple of years to run the program again? It seems like it's a similar pedigree or a similar resume coming into it when you were looking for somebody that would actually fit. He, he doesn't really have the ties to the area that – it sounded like they were looking for at the beginning of this thing. And now the the process has changed because at least until now, Napier's not happening. And then Joe Judge gets the Giants job when he was in line to be your guy. So maybe your uh expectations or um, requirements have changed a little bit, but he has a similar background to that of Joe Moorhead,
0: doesn't he? Uh yeah. But in fairness, Joe Moorhead did an okay job recruiting. I mean, right, they had a pretty good recruiting class that they had put together here. I think if you hire the right staff, you'd be fine on the recruiting trail. Um, yeah, the, uh, yeah. the whole, does, does he fit recruiting in this part of the country? So the, the newest name, and, and we'll talk more about Sark with Aaron Suttles in just a couple of minutes, but the newest name that's all of a sudden getting some traction and is floating around is the name of Mike Leach. And apparently Paul Feinbaum yesterday, we've thrown that name around, but it was more like, oh, wouldn't that be fun? And then everybody just kind of moves on. Paul Feinbaum apparently yesterday on his program made kind of a passing reference or asked out loud whether or not John Cohen had visited with Mike Leach, that he had heard that maybe he had gone to Key West. Uh, He asked Bo Bounds about that on his show today, and Bo Bounds said he believed that to be true. And so, this is what you could be potentially getting if Mike Le- Leach were to come to Starkville.
1: As coaches, we failed to get through to him. As, as coaches, we failed. Uh to make our coaching points and our points more compelling than their fat little girlfriends. Now, their fat little girlfriends have some obvious advantages. For one thing, their fat little girlfriends are telling them what they want to hear, which is how great you are and how uh, how easy it's going to be and how you know, uh, you, know, we had, we had, you know, we had a whole bunch of people. Everybody wanted to win the football game, but nobody wanted to play the football game. Well, I, I mean, that defies every level of uh, work ethic that exists with regard to football. And uh, as coaches, we have to solve our failure on uh, on reaching them, and uh, the players have to listen. And I, I'm willing to go to uh, fairly amazing lengths to try to make that happen. I don't know if I'll be successful this week or not, but but you know I am going to try, and there will be some people inconvenienced. Uh, and if it happens to be their fat little girlfriend's, too bad.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that never gets old, does it? No, it doesn't. <laughs> not at all. My my here's wait, the deal. Here's wait. the deal on Mike Leach. I mean let, let, let's just let's tear everything back. There are a couple of things you got to decide. One, do you believe a full-on air raid offense can work in the SEC? And I would say that the answer is yes, it can work in the SEC, but it probably is not going to work to the level of giving you a chance to win the league think defenses are too athletic to have it consistently work? And then the other piece is, can you get the personnel in to give the offense a chance to work regardless of who you're playing? Because you've got to have an accurate quarterback. Mike Leach has always had that. And you got to have receivers that can go catch the football. So those two things are in play. But then the other thing is, can you be comfortable with Mike Leach's personality? Because there's a big enough sample size that you know exactly what you are going to get with Mike Leach. It's a little off the wall. It's quirky. It is at times brilliant. It's funny. But it's only funny if you're winning. Because Mike Leach talking about aliens and pirates and mascot Hunger Games is a lot of fun for everybody nationally. Probably not a lot of fun for your fan base if you're sitting there at 4-5 and five or at 3-6. and six. If you're 6-3... and three, Or if you're seven and two, oh, everybody can laugh about it. We'll talk more about Mike Leach later this afternoon. By the way, in his career, at two places that are traditionally difficult to win consistently, he's done just that. 84 and 43 at Texas Tech, 55 and 47 at Washington State, career record of 139 and 90. Aaron Suttles joins us next. in a few minutes. Let's just stick with the Mike Leach conversation for a second. Because like with most candidates, there's some up and some down, some high and some low, some stuff that you like and some stuff that you don't like when you go out and you hire a guy. I do think it is interesting to remember that John Curry was moving in the direction of hiring Mike Leach to be the head football coach at Tennessee. Would it have worked? Would it have not have worked not have worked? At, you know, who knows? But John Curry got sideways with the administration, and that tripped California to talk to Mike Leach without apparently proper authorization while you had people back home plotting a coup, did not work out well for him. Now, ultimately, Curry ended up, after a year out of the business, as the athletics director at Wake Forest. That's where he is now. But going and trying to hire Mike Leach to be the head coach at Tennessee ultimately cost John Curry his job. But you had a sitting athletics director in the SEC who apparently was willing to go hire Mike Leach. When any time Mike Leach's name comes up, You you get the reaction, and it's mixed. But from all the national people, you're like, oh, please, oh, please, Mike Leach and the SEC, I love that idea. And then fans are kind of mixed on it. So let's just throw it out there, Borky. We're doing a Twitter poll question every day. How do you feel about the idea of Mike Leach? Say what? We're doing multiple a day now. I just keep adding them. There you go. How do you feel about the idea of Mike Leach as a head football coach at Mississippi State? Thumbs up, thumbs down.
3: Pretty simple question there. Are you allowed to do that on Twitter? was a yes-no thing.
0: What? Same difference. Just asking. I mean, I wasn't saying that that had to be the wording. Thumbs up, yes, thumbs down, no. That's kind of all I was... Oh, hey, there's Rippy. What's up, man? What's up? Sorry, we missed you at the beginning of the show. It's okay. You were on assignment? I was on assignment. Did you find out anything exciting? Not really. Okay. Good to know. Um so year by year, Mike Leach. At Texas Tech, ten straight winning seasons. Seven and six, seven and five, nine and five, eight and five, eight and four, nine and three, eight and five, nine and four, eleven and two. That was in two thousand eight, eight and four, and then unceremoniously, unceremoniously dumped by Texas Tech, and I think he still has a pending lawsuit against them. It did not end well. Washington State, he's been there since twenty twelve. Three and nine. Six and seven in the bowl game. Three and nine. Nine and four, eight and five, nine and four,
3: eleven and two, six and seven. Would you survive three and nine in year three now? Seems to me like no. Probably depends on where you are.
0: Right? I mean Joe Moorhead didn't survive six and seven in year two. That was after going eight and six in year one.
3: Mike, I mean, Matt Luke didn't survive 4-8 in year three. That's a good point. With pretty bad circumstances. Aren't good
2: expectations point. and stuff different, though? I mean, Washington State has such a hard time getting players.
0: Yeah, but they finally gotten to the point where they were recruiting better, and the defense had been better the last couple of years. It was not very good this season, and it's part of the reason that this year they went 6-6 six and six in the regular season and lost the Cheez-It Bowl. When he's got a defense to go with that offense, mm, that's when they get pretty good. Career accomplishments for Mike Leach. Ten consecutive winning seasons at Texas Tech. Eight consecutive years with at least eight wins. Four seasons with at least nine wins. Nine consecutive bowl appearances. AP coach of the year in in 2008. Big 12 coach of the year that season. At Washington State, he's been named Pac 12 Coach of the Year twice, did that in 15 and in 18. First coach to ever win 11 games at Washington State. Coached a Johnny Unitas Golden Arm uh, award winner in Gardner Minshew and uh, has won a couple
3: of ball games. He has not
2: bowl signed games, it. Not
3: ball games, bowl <laughs> games. We've got a thumbs up, thumbs down poll. Well,
2: Richard, that's the options he gave. Um,. Has not signed a recruiting class better than 46. All the rest are in the 50s. You've got one also in the 60s at Washington State.
0: Talking about in terms of recruiting?
2: In terms of just pure recruiting rankings. uh, The best is 46. All the other ones are at least in the 50s and one in the 60s. But that's a tough place to recruit. It's not – I mean, even Mississippi State, who – in their own division is at best fifth in the recruiting pecking order behind Alabama, Auburn, and LSU and Texas A&M, right? Yeah. Uh, You can sign classes better than that just signing Mississippi kids. The state of Washington doesn't produce players. Uh, Pullman is a tough place to recruit to, to say the least. There's nobody in that region of the country that you can put a recruiting class together around. Now – It's also different because they don't have to play Alabama and Auburn and LSU and Texas A&M every week, but you can sign better players by default by just existing here than you could ever dream of at Washington State.
0: A lot of votes early. 55% of the thumbs-down category on Mike Leach for Mississippi State. Uh, 130 or so votes. So small sample size at this point. But in the neighborhood of a split. I don't... All right, so the idea of the air raid in the SEC. Ole Miss ran a version of the air raid with Phil Longo. I think there's a little more sophistication to what Mike Leach does. By the way, Phil Longo and Mike Leach are friends and talked on a fairly regular basis. Phil Longo trying to learn from Mike Leach about the way that he does things. Such as screens... Yeah, they run a few of those. Ole Miss did not. Isn't the reality? Let's just play this out. Let's just play out Mike Leach to Mississippi State. It might, if he was hired right now or in the next few days, the results next year might not be great. Because there are question marks about quarterback. Is Garrett Schrader coming back? If he does come back, does he have enough accuracy to play in that system? So Mike Leach has got to find a quarterback, and he's got to find some guys that can catch footballs. Offensive line, you've heard Ed say, probably going to be pretty decent next year. Yes, they lose Darrell Williams, but a bunch of guys with experience coming back, that's expected to be a group that has the potential to be serviceable to good Next year. Okay, so there's some pieces. Did, have we gotten a definitive answer on what Kylan Hill's doing next year? No. If you remember,
2: he announced that he was going and then deleted the tweet and then has been yeah. having fun on Twitter by teasing that a decision's been made but hasn't formally announced what it is.
0: Okay, so don't know if Kylan Hill's coming back or not. I, I say all that to say that for that offense to work, you gotta have a trigger man and you gotta have guys that can go catch it. Because he's throwing it 70 to 80% of the time. My guess would be that Kylan Hill would not look at the balance of that offense and go, you know what? That's something I really want to be a part of one more year before I go to the NFL. But I'm not putting words in his mouth, so we'll see. Obviously, this is all hypothetical as well. Anyway. But let's just assume that two years from now, after getting the quarterback that he wants, and recruiting some wide receivers. And my understanding is the 2021 class coming out of Mississippi, got a bunch of good high school receivers. So, so to put it together, so by year two, maybe year three, the offense probably looks pretty impressive. Light up the scoreboard, throw for a bunch of yards, lose games against really good teams. My guess is Mike Leach at Mississippi State, to be perfectly honest, would put together records that looked a lot like Dan Mullen's records at Mississippi State. A six and six, a seven and five, an eight and four, an eight and four, a seven and five, an eight and four, a six and six, a nine win season. And then when everything falls just right, kind of like it did in his next to last season at Texas Tech, you got a chance to go win 10 or 11 games. You remember that 11-win season um, at Texas Tech in 2008? That's when he had Michael Crabtree. That was the year they beat Texas. They were crazy good. And then lost to Ole Miss in the Cotton Bowl. Graham Harrell was the quarterback, I think, on that team. Does that sound right? I think that's exactly
2: right. Does his inability to beat Washington worry you a little bit? It's not just Washington. It's the, The better teams on his schedule... And it's not fair because it's the most difficult job, maybe in that league. But
0: no, as... I mean it, it. It doesn't worry me because, like I just said a second ago, you know what you're getting into. You're not beating LSU and Alabama and Auburn with that offense. You'll beat Ole Miss some. You'll lose to Ole Miss some. You'll beat Kentucky some. You'll lose to them some. Defenses are too good in this league to expect to go out and win ten games every year running that offense in the SEC. But it would be a heck of a lot of fun and you would have a character. And I think on average you'd probably be in the 7 and 5 to 8 and 4 range, especially the way the schedule is built at Mississippi State. Sports Talk Mississippi more coming up with you after this. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. That's to have you along on this Wednesday afternoon, middle of the week. I gotta, I gotta check these poll results and see how it's trending. The poll question. Poll question number two of the day. How would you feel about Mike Leach as the head coach at Mississippi State? Results so far, 421 votes, 53% no, 47% yes. We had a
2: few texts as well. I don't think that his shtick that we like, it's not a shtick, it's who he is. He's very much himself We love it. It would be radio gold every single day of every football season. He would be awesome for us. But there are some people that it will rub the wrong way. I mean, even the fat little girlfriends thing will rub people the wrong way. But especially if they lose to Texas A&M on Saturday and on Tuesday, he's telling you about how we picked up radio waves from a different galaxy. Uh, that, That will drive people nuts around here. And they don't like
0: that. Yeah. You know, it became a, It has become a thing at Washington State. I, I don't know if it's like a fan question of the week or the reporters just play along and play the game. Is there somebody in the media at Mississippi State that would ask a, uh, you know, hey, what are your thoughts on Baby Yoda? We need to put hey Dad on that question on a weekly basis.
3: Yeah, but I guess does it end up mattering too much? Because, like, people in Washington, I assume, are slightly different than SEC fans, but they're not, like, aliens here. Like, I imagine it doesn't... Make them happy all the time, but you live with it because he wins. But that's the problem:
2: is what happens when he does that after they lose to a Texas A&M?
3: Well, look, he's a smart guy. This year, and they went six and seven. Still around, but I imagine it's not as funny. Yeah. uh,
0: The other poll question: This was the first one. Will Mississippi State hire a new football coach within twenty-four hours? Pretty simple. Yes or no, and um, the results so far. 626 votes, 69% no, 31% yes. So Bulldog fans not um, not convinced that it's going to happen in the next 24 hours. Should it concern
2: Mississippi State fans that, and, and again, it could be misinformation, that's kind of how coaching searches work, but there are national reporters, respected people that are saying that Cohen, at least recently, has talked, to slash interviewed a handful of candidates? Should it be concerning that there hasn't been a zeroing in on one guy and they're about to make it happen, that they're still six days in on January 8th feeling out a bunch of different people?
0: You know what, Morky? Here's what I believe uh, about this process. I don't know what to think about the Billy Napier side of it. Did Mississippi State really want Billy Napier? I think the answer to that is yes. I think the answer to that is yes. There's been so much reporting about it and alluding to this conversation and that conversation. That didn't happen. But I wonder if the Billy Napier thing has gotten played up more publicly than it actually was. I think that's possible. But here's what I believe This search went sideways when the New York Giants offered Joe Judge their job. If you know anything or if you've read anything about Joe Judge, he is young, he has ties to Mississippi State, he has worked under Nick Saban and Bill Belichick, he is intense, I heard somebody write that he is, was consistently the loudest voice at Patriots practices. He's the guy that was running hot. And I don't necessarily mean that in a bad way. That's just kind of, he's that kind of big, thick, burly, in your face, loud, but has worked under the right people, got glowing recommendations. And some of this is reading between the lines and some of this is talking to some people. I think John Cohen had gotten really, really comfortable. Obviously, they offered the job to Joe Judge. And I think we're excited about where that was headed. Now, there was no guarantee that it was going to be a home run, a Grand Slam, whatever. But they were very comfortable with where that was headed. And whether you want to call it having to set the reset button or go into scramble mode or whatever... Joe Judge taking the Giants job when it appeared like he was probably going to take the Mississippi State job kind of turned this search on its head and if you had zeroed in on a guy and said, this is our guy and then it goes sideways and you have to start over, I think you would understand John Cohen talking to a bunch of people I think And if you've zeroed in on two different guys and for whatever reason the Billy Napier thing hasn't worked and the Joe Judge thing hasn't worked, sure, it's got the appearance of being a little bit of a cluster. Now, in reality, is it a cluster? I don't know. But it does seem pretty clear that John Cohen has talked to a lot of people in trying to figure out what the direction is they need to go. We'll try again with Aaron Suttles after this quick timeout. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Wednesday. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Wednesday afternoon, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott, Hey Dad has the day off because he's going to watch wrestling tonight in South Haven, I believe. So we'll check in with him tomorrow. I know Haydad will have lots of answers for all of Rippey's questions about, what's it called again, Borky? All Elite Wrestling? Is that right? Oh, I, don't, I have no idea. Elite something or other? You can uh, fact-check me on that. C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. I agree with the Joe Judge thing. I was very excited about him. Rule taking the Panthers' job, Judge taking the Giants' job, pulled the rug out from the fan base and Cohen. I don't think the search is a cluster, though. You can't do anything about the Giants offering $7 million, $7 million a year for your guy. That's uh, coming in on the C Spire text line. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Aaron Suttles, who is uh, co-host on Three Man Front on WJOX Jocks in Birmingham and uh, also writes for The Athletic Covering Alabama. Aaron, what's up, man? Hey, man. How are you? Good. Appreciate a few minutes of your time. So the Steve Sarkeesian thing, uh, you, you tweeted last night that there was um, – Mutual interest, I'm paraphrasing, between uh, Sark and Mississippi State. Where would you gauge that interest, and what do you know at this point, 12 hours later? It's a good,
4: yeah, it's a good question. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of optimism last night that, that this was close to being done. I, I didn't know either way uh, how close that got between Steve Sarkeesian and John Cohen, and I don't know where it stands today. I just know... That both parties had an interest in. and and where that goes from here, I guess we'll see. Um, you know, I know Sarkeesian is a, a quote unquote a name, and um, and that might matter to some people, but um, more importantly, he's, he's coached, at, he's got coaching experience, which was very important to John Cohen uh, when he stood on, on that dais you know, on the podium last week and, and talked about the criteria for a new coach. And Sarkeesian doesn't come with Without reservations, obviously the way it ended at USC for him is yeah. going to give people reservation, particularly in conservative states like Alabama and, and Mississippi. But, um, he, he has been, he has led two Power Five programs before. He's been in the NFL and he's worked with Nick Saban. So you, you can understand why there would be interest there. Where that stands right now, your guess is as good as mine.
0: Certainly check some of the boxes that, that you think would be important. I, I'm curious, and yeah, it feels like you've always got to be careful when you talk about this or, or when you ask about it. But it was pretty public, some of the things that, that Sark dealt with you know, at the end at Southern Cal that led to ultimately him no longer being the coach there. Has he been, at least as much as Nick Saban assistants are allowed to talk, open at all with some of the stuff that he's had to deal with in, in terms of Uh, alcohol or substance abuse, however you want to describe it, in the time that he's been in Tuscaloosa? Or is that a story that just kind of is in the rearview mirror?
4: I think it's in the rearview mirror now in terms of of Alabama because he he actually did meet with the media. um, And it was an awkward, um, not awkward meeting, but the circumstances surrounding his first press conference in Alabama were weird because Lane Kiffin had essentially just been fired. <laughs> and Sarkeesian was the offensive coordinator. And, and at the national championship game in 2000, during the 2016 season, you know the, the, the coordinator is required to speak. So it was really the first time because he'd been obviously an analyst for Alabama that entire season. And then he gets elevated to the offensive coordinator. And a lot of people, including myself, I mean that was the first time we could really – had an opportunity to talk to Sarkeesian after the way it ended at USC. And a lot of those, uh, a lot of his issues and a lot of that played out on the podium that day. But beyond that, it really hasn't been talked about because after that he went to, um, at least it hasn't been talked about in Alabama because he, he addressed it then. And then he went to the NFL with the Atlanta Falcons. And then when he came back, we've only really had two opportunities to interview him. And it it felt like a storyline that was in the past and, um, really wasn't relevant anymore because it was uh, it was a story from three years ago and and that's sort of where it is and, and only he can tell you where he is in his sobriety um, and, and if that those issues of the past are, are, are clearly in the past and I imagine you know that would be one of the main questions that uh, that John Cohen would ask
0: so you mentioned a second ago that you know there, there were some things that John Cohen laid out, in his press conference after Moorhead was fired that were, were important to him one of the things that he talked about being important was fit and said that Mississippi State was a unique job, it was a unique place and they needed to have somebody that wanted to be there and, and fit kind of a unique culture and fan base and expectation level I'm paraphrasing a little bit but it, is it a fit that would make sense that would work with Sark who, the majority of his career's been West Coast, even though the last five years or so have been in the South.
4: it's a, It's a relevant question and a good question. And I don't claim to know Steve Sarkisian very well, so take take that for a grain of salt with, with this answer. But on the surface, I don't it doesn't make sense that it fit. In fact, i I never really thought it fitted Alabama uh, in, in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And But it worked because of the opportunity that it gave him in a coordinator role. And if you're building trying to get back to being a head coach, that, that made perfect sense. Um, it, it makes sense if he would use Starkville as a long-term destination because I think that's, that's very important to John Cohen right now, who um, people are going to judge him by this hire going forward. And, and so that, that could be a drawback that would, might maybe, in the back of Cohen's mind, prevent him, from hiring uh, Steve Sarkeesian, I know Steve Sarkeesian wants to be um, a head coach again, and to do so in, in Mississippi State, even though it might not be the best fit, it's still an SEC job. It's a program in this decade it has been number one in the country. They put players in the NFL. You know, you can. It's it, you know, despite having to share talent with two SEC schools, Mississippi produces a good amount of uh, talent in state. So there are obviously some some positives why you would take the job, but just looking at it based on what we stereotype um, Starkville as and Mississippi State as and how we stereotype Sarkeesian as being a West Coast guy, it doesn't look like the best to fit, but that doesn't mean maybe it isn't.
0: Aaron Suttles on your radio, three-man front on jocks Birmingham and also covers Alabama for the athletic. Alabama hasn't had a coaching search in a long time. You've seen some with Auburn, so you've been in that state and, and certainly you've gone through the whole coaching search process. People want answers. It's different than it's ever been. The reality is this coaching search is in day six. Um I, I don't know if it's because of when it happened, you know, that that it's a January third decision that's made as opposed to a December third that's decision that's made. But when you look at this thing, Aaron, kind of outside looking in, is it the, the cluster that, that some people have made it out to be, do you think this is kind of par for the course and people just get so wrapped up in it because it's kind of hyper-local and people want answers right now? What do you make of this?
4: It's weird, right? Uh, the first thing I think of when I think of a, of a cluster when it comes to coaching hires is what Tennessee went through a couple years, and that played out so publicly. It did. That it, And the good thing is it's not playing out as publicly. Mississippi State, and unfortunately, and I heard you coming back uh, before you came to me. Unfortunately, the guy that you thought was the fit, the guy that you thought was going to make a logical step from an NFL assistant to a head coaching job, um, had the blessing of Nick Saban and Bill Belichick, and and people took notice of that, and he got a he got a big boy job, and, and so that threw the search for a loop, and then you know the Billy Napier thing having played out is over several days the way it has didn't help but at least it wasn't public like it was with Tennessee so within the state of Mississippi I I certainly understand the panic um that can ensue from a coaching search because each guy that you reach out to and you don't get it feels like you're you're being turned down for the on a world stage but it's not really because I don't because fortunately people are concentrating on the, the national championship game and right now there's a lot of news about juniors going pro so it's it is reaching national levels, but it's not the storyline. Now, if it goes much further, certainly it could. But I would caution every Mississippi State fan, and a lot of people, you probably feel that Some it's going to hurt recruiting. You cannot make one hire on one recruiting class. I understand recruiting is the lifeblood of college program, but yeah. getting the right guy is more important. And if it, if it takes interviewing one more person or making a trip one more place or talking to one more um, you know coach before you get the right guy it's worth it and so um, I understand that right now if you live in Mississippi it's you're very myopic like man we, we look horrible uh, our rivals are laughing at us don't worry about that worry about the coach that you can attract and if you get the right guy three years from now if your program's headed in the right direction no one's gonna remember that it took you an extra two or three days to get your coach
0: Aaron, you know how these work. Hard break coming up. So 20-second answer, Max. Give me your impression of the idea of Mike Leach in the SEC.
4: Uh, craziness, would love it. I don't know the people in Starkville would love it. <laughs> I
0: think that's fair. I certainly think uh, that's fair. Hey, always good to visit with you, my friend. Look forward to seeing you soon. All right, take care. That's Aaron Suttles from in uh, Birmingham. Three-man front. He and Cole Kublik and uh, Landrum Roberts together every afternoon and also at the Athletics. Some interesting stuff there. We're back after this on Sports Talk Mississippi. C Pirate Tax Line. Heard several times on the show references of how State's program will be, quote, three years from, quote, if so-and-so was hired. Question is: Since when does State or Ole Miss hire coaches that even survive three years? Hugh That's a very and Dan reasonable Mullen. question. Say what? Hey, Dan. Uh, I'm sorry. What, Morky? Uh, I mean, Hugh Freeze
2: and Dan Mullen both survived longer than that. Hugh Freeze made it five years. Dan Mullen went
0: nine. Matt Luke was technically there three. Three. But at some point, here's what I I texted back to the the guy. He said he's a former coach and he'd like to see a coach be given a chance to build something. I said, at some point, you've got to give a guy that you believe in some time. And the best example of that recently is Kentucky with Mark Stoops. Because repeatedly pressing the reset button just over and over and over doesn't work. Look at Arkansas. Breeds dysfunction. That's a great point. Great point. William and Greenville, I graduated from MSU, and I would love Mike Leach coming to Starkville. Tim and Tupelo, hire Grantham, and let's get moving. I don't hear that sentiment much. There's some people that are like, yeah, I'd be okay with Todd Grantham, but that's kind of as far as it goes. Nobody's like, you know what, Todd Grantham, let's do it.
2: I mean, I think if you had the choice between Grantham and Sarkisian, I mean, isn't the obvious answer Sarkisian?
3: Isn't the main reason that's sellable, though, is because he was a coordinator at State and had success before? Like, if he had not coached at Mississippi State, would people be trying to make that palatable?
0: I mean, he's bounced a lot, which is kind of what happens with the assistant coaches and coordinators and whatever, but I mean, he was Georgia to Louisville to Mississippi State to Florida, a lot of different places. And he's a good coordinator. I he is. Just... I people tell me that he's a smart guy. Yes, he's
3: fiery. Yes, he is. Um, Go ahead and throw out football genius. Pete next to Sean McVay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> didn't say a football genius. Just a bright guy. And that some of the antics that maybe you're used to seeing from Todd Grantham, he would realize that some of those have kind of got to be set aside if he's in the chair, so to speak.
3: So I don't understand that it, for someone that I guess didn't pay enough attention to watch, what are these antics? Because like you have P.J. Fleck doing a boat motion and sprinting up and down the sideline. He tried to, to fight Derek Mason last year. So did Dan Mullen.
0: Yeah. I think the point is he's just one of those fiery guys. He's kind of like the red-faced, fiery, get-in-your-face, yell-and-scream guy on the sideline that you think of as like coordinator sometimes or position coach or strength coach. Like not Matt necessarily Lee. the presidential... Look that you get from a head coach
2: there's more to being a head coach than than just your ability to coach football yeah, it, there's a temperament involved there's i mean what would
3: you describe pj flex temperament as i'm just asking i, I mean would, he's got a shtick
2: i mean he's he has, got a absolutely has a thing but it's not negative aggression
3: okay i'm curious i'm getting because I'm, I'm not paying attention other than the Derek mason thing like what else is there that's outlandish
2: that's happened a couple of other times he was on the sidelines directing a choking symbol at a kicker i mean like stuff sean like that payton? yeah and sean payton got roasted for it deservedly so sean payton's also been an nfl head coach for a long time and this is a journeyman defensive coordinator Look, it's a little bit I, different
0: i'm not entirely sure that a todd grantham hire is not a really really good hire at Mississippi State. Because it is a guy that's passionate. And it is a guy who would have his first head coaching opportunity and be so fired up, run through a wall for it. And I'm there would just, be an intensity there.
3: I was just one ignorant of what he had done, other than. Because the only thing I remember about the Mason thing was Dan Mullen. And then, other than that, like. Maybe yeah, it was a few years ago when he was at Georgia. Unless you're Woody hazing somebody, I think your sideline antics are all right. Like, unless you're ridiculously out of line.
0: I, again, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying, to this point, you haven't looked at Todd Grantham and go, man, that is a guy that is absolutely on his way to being a sitting head coach at an SEC spot. You've looked at him and you go, man, that's a super aggressive coordinator that is intense and fired up and whatever. He'll have to be a little different than he has been. but Like I said a second ago, and I don't know how palatable it is to Mississippi State fans. I think some would be absolutely yes, some would be absolutely no, and some probably would be in the middle. But I think Todd Grantham, assuming he could put a good staff together, would be a pretty good hire.
3: He's been a coordinator for, what, a decade straight now? Basically.
0: Where all of his stops been.
3: Georgia twenty ten DC, Louisville twenty fourteen DC state, and then Florida. Okay. So the four that I mentioned earlier.
0: Stan says I want a Bo Schimbeckler type of coach.
2: So throwback. Those don't exist anymore.
0: <laughs> Will and uh, poor says you could say the same thing about intensity and Sam Pittman in Arkansas. Does that make it a good hire? Well, yes, sir.
3: Sorry. Bob Knight's still around You now. Sam Pittman has
0: put together a really good staff at Arkansas. Is it going to work? I do not know. He's put together a good staff. Kendall Bryles is his offensive coordinator. Barry Odom is his defensive coordinator. He's pretty good recruiters. But you better get some good recruiters. Because that's a more difficult place to... Um, More difficult place to recruit to than most.
3: If you, what point do you get to, like the Bill Clark range? There's got to be
0: a reason that Bill Clark has not been on more radars. I mean, he's only
2: ever coached in the college anything at UAB. He was a high school coach a few years ago that might be what's hanging it up is I mean he's done a great job at UAB that's undeniable but it's very different working at UAB than anywhere else and he has not done it could be splitting hairs but uh, I mean don't people want a, a guy that's learned from other coaches experienced that's what makes Billy Napier so attractive is not just what he's done in two years at ULL it's more so that he was an assistant under the two best coaches in football right now
0: Herschel and Laurel says you don't have to know how to coach these days. You just have to know how to put a pacifier in and out of the player's mouth.
2: There's something to it. It's, it's a different climate now.
0: I, I mean, player treatment is a thing. Coaching search drinking game. This is on the ceasefire text line. Todd Grantham temperament problem. Take a shot. Mike Norvell personal issues. Take a shot. Hugh Freeze coaching, uh, searching his name on Twitter. Take a shot. Jason says that Bill Clark and Troy Calhoun should have been 1 and 1A. Bud and Jackson says, I've missed a lot of the show today. Who is the frontrunner for Mississippi State's head coach? It's a great question, Bud, because that's been a little bit of a moving target. I think the thing that is indisputable at this point is... Joe Judge was the target. Now, was was Billy Napier the target before Joe Judge? Was Billy Napier blown up in a way that was um, maybe not as big a deal as everybody thought it was? I don't know. I think it's possible that there was more to the Billy Napier thing Thanksgiving week than in the first week of January. If that's even possible. So Joe Judge was the guy. And then it went sideways. And since then it's been, you know, well, who's the target now? Okay, well, it's back to Billy Napier. Last night it was Steve Sarkeesian that everybody was talking about. Today Mike Leach is who everybody's talking about. In the absence of legitimate information the vacuum will be filled now please don't confuse that with me saying well you know john cohen told us if you don't hear it from me it's not true that's not how coaching searches work and that's not how coaching searches are covered well how they should be covered yeah (laughs) you know what i mean i think the idea that until you hear it from the athletics director, it's not true. Come on. If you wait to hear it from the athletics director, that means you're at the press conference when a new guy is being announced. You'll be at least a day behind. So we'll see. But but, but to, to the question just a second ago, from Bud saying I missed a lot of it, Oh, I'm sorry, it was Chris and Madison who says that he missed a bunch of it. I mean, throw a dart at the wall. Put, put a bunch of names up on the wall and throw a dart, and I think you can be about as accurate right now as the people that want to tell you they know exactly what's going on. If somebody tells you they know exactly what's going on right now, I think you probably should look at them with a strong dose of skepticism. Time with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, Wednesday afternoon, middle of the week. Thanks for being with us. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line, check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Rob Fisher. He is at The Fish Nation on the Twitters and uh, you can catch him on television a lot this time of the year. Sideline, pregame, postgame, Memphis Grizzlies. Also with Grind City Media, podcast there that you can check out. What's up, my friend? How you doing, man? I'm great. You seem to be pretty good in Grizzlies' world these days.
5: It's been fun. I mean, I I think uh, what we had hoped before the season is already coming to fruition. You know, the, the hope was there'll be a fun team to watch and there will be a lot of losses. And hopefully they get better as the season goes on. And and I think they're already getting better. We're already seeing signs of that. And they've definitely been a fun team to watch. So I think uh, even how low the expectations were, I think they've exceeded them already.
0: John Morant's pretty good, huh?
5: He's special, man. He's uh, he's different. Uh, I mean, we, we've had some really good players come through Memphis. Really, really good players. But this guy is superstar potential in When you really talk about superstars in the NBA, there's only about a handful of them, and he's got the potential to be one of those guys and shows it every night. And, you know, to to play the point guard position, especially in this league, usually takes a while to get acclimated, but he's fitting right in. He's calm. He's cool, collected. The guy's a leader in fourth quarters down the stretch of games, and he produces, and and he does it. You know, in dazzling ways as well. I mean, every night, ooze and ahs throughout the crowd, whether it's at home or on the road, people are people are starting to take notice of John Morant, and you know, we're starting to see it with fans that are at the hotel and fans who are at the arena and John Morant jerseys that are being worn on the road, and uh, we're seeing it more and more, and it's only going to get bigger and bigger.
0: Fish, I don't know if. Mike Conley ever quite got to that level you were talking about. If he was not legitimate superstar, he was on the cusp, he certainly got paid like a superstar, although lots of guys get paid like superstars in the NBA. It's just kind of the where we are economically. Can John Morant, and and maybe it's unfair to ask this question at this point, can he surpass what Mike Conley did in terms of production and how the fans felt about him and all those things in a relatively short period of time?
5: Well, I don't, know about that. I mean, I think, I think when you look at Mike Conley, Marcus Zach Randolph, Tony Allen, there's always going to be a place in Memphis's heart for those guys. I mean, they sure. were the, they were the first. You know, they were the ones that took them as far as further than they had ever gone before, and so there, there's always going to be that connection. And to spend as long as the time that they did in Memphis, you know, that'll be tough to duplicate. But you know, this kid is special. This kid's different. And, you know, if, if he were to be a Memphis Grizzly for for his career or for the majority of his career, yeah, he, he's got that sort of potential to be that great of a player and take this team to great heights and, you know, and, and be a guy who would be a fan favorite. I mean, he's he's already 38 games into his rookie season. He is already the most exciting Grizzlies player we've ever seen, Period. And it's not—it's not even a competition. It's him, period, and that's how different he is. And you know, it's—I mean, heck, he spends five years in Memphis and then leaves town. No, he'll never reach Mike Conley status. If he's a Memphis Grizzly for his career, I mean, who knows? Sky's the limit for this kid, and he's going to be a superstar in this league. And who knows how far he can take this team? Mike Conley took him all the way to the Western Conference Finals. Can John Morant mm-hmm. do him one greater? I think that's at least the hope. With this young team and this young core that they have.
0: Who's the second most exciting player in Grizzlies history?
5: Probably Jason Williams. Ooh. I would guess. I
0: don't know uh, if you were gonna give me like Stro Mile Swift or something. Stro mile high swift.
5: Stro shows up there, man. He was <laughs> he he showed flashes of excitement at times, but I mean, they've been so gritty and grindy. I mean, it's amazing. Already this season... That was
0: very on-brand of you, by the way.
5: Yeah, the Grizzlies already this season have more lob dunks than they had all of last year. Really? And, and and through any year during the grit and grind era. I mean, they just... They haven't been... You know, today's NBA. They haven't been above the rim. They've just been gritty and grindy and, and worked like a dog and... You know, play defense and things like that. So it hasn't been exciting, above-the-rim basketball. It's just been ugly, blue-collar, we're-going-to-beat-you-to-death kind of basketball. And, and it's the game's changed. This team has changed.
0: That's an interesting point, Fish. I'm curious if Grizzlies fans were ready to see a change. So even when they make the run to the Western Conference finals and they're going to the playoffs every year and they're running into the Clippers, you're, you, you've got the Clippers playing that fast paced, uh, you know, high tempo, above the rim style. And Oklahoma City was doing it to a certain extent. Then, yeah, the Spurs were kind of different altogether, but the Grizz were doing what you were talking about. They were bringing their lunch pail, pail and, you know, Tony Allen was locking people down and it was a, it was a relatable style, but it wasn't necessarily a fun style. Were Grizzlies fans ready to see the style you're talking about now?
5: I don't think so. I mean, necessarily. I don't. I don't think they were. I mean, I. But but that may have been more individuals. You know, you you didn't want to see Zach Randolph go. You didn't want to see Tony Allen go, and then Marcus and Mike Conley. You know, you just kind of wanted to hold on to it and yeah. and remember the guys that got you there, but. You know, once they were gone and and, you know, that grit and grind style, it did resonate so much with the city that it was it just felt like, you know, they're they're part of us. They are us. They you know, that that's who we are as a city, is that Memphis Grizzlies team and so I think people it was tough. It was tough to really let it go. But you know, this this group now it I I think people after Mike Conley was finally traded were like, Okay, it's time to move on it's over. It's in the past. Let's see what we can do. You know, we got a good young player in Jaron Jackson. Let's see what this draft brings and go from there. And uh, the draft brings John ja Morant. the draft brings Brandon Clark has been terrific as well. And, you know, just watching these, these three guys play, it is today's NBA, young athletic positionless basketball Where guys can shoot it from all over the gym and guys play above the guys can play above the rim as well and and that's what we're seeing and it's 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 quickly quickly captivated Memphis I mean people are excited people are actually talking playoffs with this team it's 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 unbelievable the excitement I mean they're only a half game out of the playoffs now I think that says a lot more about where the West is this year compared to where it's been in the past but this team competes and they're pretty confident team and you know, they're playing to shock people, too. They they got it on their mind as well.
0: Rob Fisher on your radio, sidelines, pre-post game on the Memphis Grizzlies television network and uh, also Grind City Media. Good jump cut here. You can follow Fish, by the way, on Twitter at TheFishNation. If you're John Cohen, who would you hire to be your head football coach in Starkville?
5: Oh, goodness. Uh,
0: Is that too much of a curveball?
5: Well, it's it's just I don't I don't know. I mean, where do you go? I don't I don't know if firing the last guy was the right move. Um,
0: Would you be on board with Mike Leach?
5: 100%. I, there are there are two guys. If I was Missouri before they hired their coach, if I was Arkansas before they hired their coach, and not even say it about Mississippi State. Two guys that I call. Mike Leach. I'm calling him and I'm calling Hugh Freeze. Now, I don't know. I
0: hear you. I just don't think that can work in Starkville.
5: No, I think there's
0: just too much there.
5: Yeah, no, I'm with you. I mean, I think for Starkville, compared to the other two, it's probably, no, I don't think we're going to go that route. I'm surprised Missouri and Arkansas did not. Um, But with with Mississippi State, yeah, Mike Leach, absolutely. I mean, the guy has won at... Programs that are not the elite programs of the respective conferences, and he's done it at a high level at both Texas Tech and Washington State. Why couldn't he do it at Mississippi State? Absolutely, he would be on my radar.
0: LSU or Clemson? LSU. Is it close? I I think LSU
5: wins by double digits, man. I. Uh, I just don't think their offense is intimidated by Clemson. I don't think it's a, a Clemson defense that has seen anything like LSU's offense presents. I mean, they are just unfazed by everything. And I, I, I'm i so impressed by what they've done, even against the best defenses they face. faced. They faced four top 20 defenses this year and disposed of them. They've scored over 40 points against almost every top 10 team they've played. In Georgia, they scored 37. I mean, this... This offense is a machine, and I just don't think Clemson's going to score enough points. I I like LSU to cover the spread and, and maybe win by 10.
0: It's been too long, my friend. I know this is a busy time of year, but I uh, hope we can chat again soon.
5: Anytime, Richard. Always a pleasure, man.
0: Rob Fisher from Grind City Media. Podcast there, but uh, also... On television, covering the Grizzlies. does a fantastic job, and he's always wearing some fancy shoes. And uh, sometimes he'll tell you about them. Follow him on Twitter, at TheFishNation. Rob Fisher joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. We're back after this to wrap up the 4 o'clock hour. All right, if you want to see Brian Haydad on television... Your chance is tonight, starting at 7 o'clock on TNT, All Elite Wrestling as... I'm going to try and do this with a straight face. First time ever, a dream tag team match as the Rhodes, Dustin Rhodes and Cody Rhodes, face the Luca Brothers... On dynamite, I guess that's what the brand is.
3: Hey, look—is this the wrestling or throwing furniture at each other? And like, is this? I mean,
0: it's not wrestling like you see at the University of Iowa. I mean, it's like
3: wrestling like you watch on television. Okay, is there a real professional wrestling league, or is that just USC UFC? Excuse me. Like I... the wrestling you see in college, is there a professional circuit of that?
0: Not that I'm aware of, but I wouldn't put it past existing. Like you're talking about guys in singlets professionally. Yeah. If it exists, I don't know about it. I will say this. So in terms, Borky, of WWF into WWE, WCW, Nitro, all that, I mean, I I don't even really know what I'm talking about. I've never been one of those guys. However, growing up in the Mid-South, I lived in Dyersburg, Tennessee until I was eight, and then we moved to Oxford. And have always gotten local Memphis channels. And so if you've lived in an area where Memphis was the, the big TV market, and you grew up in the 80s and 90s, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. Saturday morning, World Championship Wrestling. They came on the air with like this bronze statue that was on a rotating table with Space Odyssey 2001 playing in the background. And then they went, I have no, I never went and like saw this in person, but then they went into the, it was like inside of a warehouse or something where there were like six rows of bleachers on two sides of the ring. And then you had Lance Russell and Dave Brown, who was the weatherman on Channel 5 in Memphis as the announcers. And they had a lot of famous wrestlers that came through. I mean, Jerry Lawler was there. Jeff Jarrett was there. And tonight, as part of this deal that ad's going to, this all-elite wrestling in South Haven, AEW is paying tribute to the legends of Memphis wrestling. Angelo Paffo and Randy Savage. Lance Russell, who was kind of the play-by-play guy for all these years. Hot Stuff Eddie and Tommy Gilbert. Brian Christopher, the late son of Jerry Lawler. Austin Idol. Dave Brown, the aforementioned weatherman forever at Channel 5 in Memphis. It was the NBC affiliate. And then the Saturday morning color analyst on wrestling. The Rock and Roll Express. Handsome Jimmy Valiant. All of these guys are being paid tribute to tonight tonight. At this, uh, this wrestling deal that Hey Dad is going to.
2: You could have made um, up all those names and that uh, I would have
0: had no idea. I understand. But, but again, uh, look, man, I'm telling you, the C Spire text line is exploding and my personal phone is exploding right now because people who grew up, it was on Saturday mornings in Memphis and people are just throwing my names at me. Don't forget Tojo. Moondogs, Bill Dundee. Somebody sent me uh Zebo.
3: <laughs> what is uh It was a big deal. What was Mr. Toe Dog's stick? I don't know. Okay.
2: I always thought the rest the fake wrestling thing was weird, but I'm also the guy that listened to a podcast where one NBA player interviewed one of his teammates, so I can't really talk about other things being weird.
0: Hey, hey Borky, so When I was in about, I'm going to say, fourth grade. Fourth, fifth grade, somewhere around there. So the Memphis wrestling, and it it used to happen a ton at the Mid-South Coliseum. Like They would draw really big crowds there, but just the Saturday morning show wasn't usually at the Mid-South Coliseum. But they would take the show on the road, obviously in a much smaller fashion, and they had a wrestling event at uh, Tad Smith Coliseum. And they had a six-man tag team match. It was two three-man teams. And one of the teams was made up of Jerry Lawler, a guy named Chuck Oakey, who at the time was Ole Miss's strength coach. This was under Billy Brewer. Big, tall, thick guy, crew cut. And Joe Wickline, who at the time was either offensive line coach or defensive line coach. I don't remember exactly. But they had a tag team match. That was like the main event for Tad Smith Coliseum, like Monday Night Wrestling. Nice. And like, I don't know, a couple of thousand people showed up for it. It was crazy. John and Corinth says, Saturday morning, it was the NBC Channel 5 Studios. Okay, I didn't realize that. David says, had my heart broken when I saw Jerry Lawler get in a limo with Bill Dundee after Lawler whipped him at Water Valley High School when I was nine. Unbelievable. Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Wednesday afternoon, just after 5 o'clock. Normally we'd get to the college football fix right now. We're going to put that on hold, although we're probably going to talk some college football with our good friend John Harris from the Houston Texans. We're glad to have you along. SeaSpire text line's open, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line, check out favorites.com. And go with the home team. Let's go to H Town, John Harris on the phone. What a game on Saturday! I texted you Saturday night, told you congratulations. You seemed a bit exhausted. (laughs)
6: Yeah, I I was. Uh, That one that one took a lot out of everybody uh, with the way it was all over the place. I think I was. I saw something on Twitter about Rich Eisen, and Rich Eisen was saying, you know, he's kind of breaking down the last two minutes of regulation. And it was it was a it was a crazy crazy game. Um, the Texans go down sixteen nothing. They make the comeback. Josh Allen. It's funny because I saw Buffalo writer say turn back into Washington uh, Wyoming Josh, which is true. Mm. And it was just kind of all over the place. And it was one of those games where you know your your football life for that season is hanging in the balance. Like you know you know in, in college you go to a bowl game, and it's like you know at the end of that like, season's over. You know it's over. You know, if you get to the playoffs, you're like, you know, we could, this is it. Like, we don't win this. You know, see, we're packing it up. And we were sitting there looking at packing it up for the second straight year after a wild card round. And then all of a sudden, JJ walk out of sack. That lit up Energy Stadium. And then Deshaun Watson took over from that point. He was absolutely fabulous. And that helped get the win 22 to 19.
0: Crowd looked unbelievable. I mean, is that as loud as you've heard it in that building? You know,
6: there are a lot of people that will say, "Look, uh, there are some loud places to play. Arrowhead, where we're going this weekend. Uh, CenturyLink up at Seattle is very, very loud. Uh, Lincoln Lincoln uh, Lincoln Financial Field in Philadelphia can get loud as well. But our building, Superdome. Lincoln, Don't forget the Superdome. Oh God, I better not forget the Superdome. Uh, Saints fans will come. Yeah, that's that's probably the loudest I've heard. But Saturday." Was without a doubt the loudest it got that I that I can remember, and you know, our fans have been just kind of sitting waiting. You could sense it during the game; they've just been sitting waiting to explode on something, something. Just give them anything, and Bradley Roby dropped a pick six, and you know they had a fumble that you know they got uh, given back to the Bills because Josh Allen's knee was down. They were just waiting for something, and then JJ Watt got his sack, and it was like that was that was the spark that set it all off. And then when the Texans started coming back, and it was little by little, it just kept ramping up, ramping up. And, you know, for a lot of people in that building, 27 years ago, they sat as Houston Oilers fans, and they experienced a 32-point lead going away quickly and losing a game to the Buffalo Bills. And so seeing Buffalo yeah. coming back against that organization, I know for a lot of people in that building, they they were like, yeah, it's revenge. And it wasn't quite that, <laughs> but – but it, was, but it was kind of it – was, it was interesting and fitting that it was Buffalo on the other side of it. And, you know, over that last half and, and overtime, over you know, Richard, we've talked about this before about the Texans because you've asked me, you know, what, what can they do in the playoffs? You know, what is it they can do? And I said, well, uh, you know, they can beat anybody. They can lose to anybody. Well, we saw that all in one game because the first half, they just got run out of the building by the Bills. and the second half, they looked like they could win a Super Bowl tomorrow. And that's the thing with this football—you just you don't know. And if the good Texans show up, they got an opportunity to go beat the Chiefs. If they don't, they got an opportunity to be run out of the building, forty-one to seven. Uh, so it's gonna be interesting to see which group shows up. But that group that we saw in the second half and overtime—that was a really good football team that got its head squared on and went and battled. But that crowd was absolutely amazing, and. And Bill O'Brien and Sean Watson all said it after the game. And I I even said to Whitney Merciless when I interviewed Whitney after the game, his first fumble was huge. And he said guys were celebrating with him, and he said he couldn't hear a word they were saying. He said (laughs) the crowd was so loud as guys were jumping on top of him. It's like he couldn't hear anything that they were saying. And that's the way that this building has got to be, and that's the way playoff football is, man. You get that crowd going at that fever, fever pitch, and that's the way New Orleans was. The first game we played them that you were in the Dome for, Richard, you heard that crowd. I, I took my headphones off at the end. I was like, oh, my gosh, is it loud? Um, so it was cool to experience that on our side on Saturday against the Bills.
0: Yeah, I've been to some loud places. I've been to, to Tiger Stadium in Baton Rouge when it was right. Yep. I, I've been to the Swamp at night when it was right and kind of oh, walked yeah. away from those spots going, man, I don't know how it could get any louder. I've never experienced anything like the, the season opener in the Dome this year with the Saints and the uh, and the Texans um yeah johnny my uh, yeah, favorite I mean, thing been, about go ahead
6: no I've, I've been to a couple of those places you mentioned i've been in the swamp i was at the swamp in 99 when florida beat tennessee tennessee was number one in the country and it was this sweltering september night in the swamp and i'm with you i didn't know that a building could be louder than that when alex brown uh, and that defense stopped uh jamal lewis on a fourth down play that, that basically assured that Florida's going to win that game that night. I, I don't yep. know that I'd ever heard a louder play um, at that particular moment, but Superdome in week one and in our building, uh, those were definitely on par with the Swamp back in 99 for sure.
0: John, my favorite thing about talking to you is that I can take you in all different directions and you're all set to go. So here <laughs> we go. We got a we got a, a question on Twitter. Just a second ago. Obviously we've spent a ton of time talking about Mississippi State's head coach opening And kind of the direction that they might go And they've been all over the place So Miles sends us a question He says Which do you think has a better chance of working In the SEC West? A Mike Leach air raid Offense Or a service academy triple option offense
6: (laughs) That's pretty good That's pretty good Uh, I would say I would say Mike Leach because there's, there's evidence that it's worked. Now, it was a while back when Mike Leach and they were at Kentucky, and Mike Leach and how Mummy were doing their thing at Kentucky with Tim Couch, and the SEC is going, why is this ball being thrown all the time? <laughs> why can't you just run it? And I think if down in the southeast, if you're able to find a quarterback that's like, yeah. I mean, like, take, for instance, Gardner Minshew. Gardner Minshew ends up at Washington State. You know that's a that's a Southern boy. Like how he ended up going to Washington State. I mean that story is incredible. It's it like is. you can find those quarterbacks. They can come in and they can do their they can do their thing throwing the ball around, and you're seeing what LSU's doing with some athletes and being able to throw the ball around. So I think it. I think Mike Leach's offense now. Mike Leach in the Southeastern Conference might be a little uh, interesting. But I think a Mike Leach offense would work very well. Now, the thing about running a service academy triple option sort of thing, the one thing I think you'd probably have some trouble finding is a quarterback would, would be quarterbacks year after year that would say, yeah, I'll go get hit 20 to 25 times a game by SEC defenses. Yeah, I'll go do that. Uh, yeah. There are some bold, there are some bold quarterbacks and, and, and athletes that would do that. I just don't think it would be wise because those guys are going to end up getting blitzkrieg by the Alabamas and the LSUs and the Georgias. Those defenses would be licking their chops to face an option offense. What they don't want to face is an attack like Mike Leach's that gets guys open repeatedly. Then you got to pass rush every down. Then you got to try and cover in man, then zone, then zone in man. You've got pattern match. I mean, there'd be so many things you've got to prepare for. It would be so much more difficult, I think, for defenses to face a Mike Leach offense. I would go ahead and say Mike Leach's offense. Even though I'm an option guy at heart, I would love to see the option. I just don't know that quarterbacks week in and week out can take the pounding in the SEC that they would take running an option offense.
0: Only about a minute left. Is there a different level of complexity to Mike Leach's version of the air raid than what Ole Miss ran with Phil Longo a couple of years ago?
6: Not not entirely. It's just that Mike Leach, the way that he coaches it and coaches his guys to run it, it's probably it's probably about the same. I mean, Mike Leach, you've seen him with that play card on the sidelines during games. I mean, that's basically his that's basically his playbook. But it's just that Mike Leach has gotten his players to perform at a very high level wherever he's been because it's a pretty easy offense to learn, but it's adaptable. You can add in wrinkles. To it just based on tags at the end of play calls and things like that I think it's probably on par as as far as the amount of things you have to learn but Mike Leach teaches it so darn well I think you could end up running it in the SEC and end up being very very successful
0: always interesting stuff Um, 30 seconds how much of a chance do the Texans have this weekend in Kansas City well we can find a way to
6: block uh, Chris Jones and That's a good start. Can, yeah, I mean, we got, we got to block him. We can block him because uh, he'll be back, and we can slow them a couple drives. We got a chance. I mean, week six, we didn't beat them in their building, in the same building we're playing in. So, yeah, Vegas didn't give us much of a chance, but that locker room, they know, they know they've got number four, and they got 99 back. They're feeling pretty confident right about now. So I'll take them in that kind of situation all day, every day.
0: My guess is about 30 or 40 million people will be watching, so uh, it'll be a lot of fun. Thanks so much, as always, John.
6: You got it, Richard. Take care, buddy. Thank you.
0: John Harris on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Covered a lot of ground in a short amount of time. Started to ask him if he grew up on Saturday morning wrestling, but I wasn't sure that tied into the conversation. We'll be back. Appreciate John Harris joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favrates.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Just go there to that website, FAVERates.com. Type in your zip code and you can get a quote on auto insurance or home insurance or you can bundle your coverage and save. You'll be dealing with local agents in your county in the state of Mississippi most likely people that you already know that you bump into on a regular basis you see at the grocery store at the ball fields at church at ball games um it's good to do people uh, do business with people that uh, you know have got your best interest at heart that's why we say go with the home team Mississippi Farm Bureau it's time for this moment in sports history brought to you by acoustic wave in ridgeland You can get wave therapy to treat many orthopedic conditions, including heel spurs, tennis elbow, golfer's elbow, shoulder tendinitis, and a whole lot more. No incisions, no scars, no downtime. Go back to work the very same day. You can contact Acoustic Wave at AcousticWaveMS.com or give them a call, 855-563-6100. If you go in the Wayback Machine to the year 2000, it sounded like this.
5: Do the Titans have a miracle left in them in what has been a magical season to this point? If they do, they
6: need it now. Christie kicks it high and short. Gonna be fielded by Lorenzo Neal at the 25. Yeah, pitches you. it back to Wycheck. He throws it across the field to Dyson. He's got something. He's 30, got, 40, got something. 50, He's got 40, it. He's got it. 20.
7: 10! He's got five. it! Down titans there are no flags on the field it's a miracle tennessee has pulled a miracle
0: 22 to 16 the final the music city miracle january 8 2000 nfl playoffs at the end of the afc wild card game between the titans and the buffalo bills at what was then adelphia coliseum in nashville the Bills had taken a 16-15 lead on a field goal with 16 seconds remaining in the game. Ensuing kickoff, short kick, tight end Frank Wycheck through a lateral all the way across the field to Kevin Dyson. And you heard the uh, color analyst who decided he wanted to be part of that call. He's got something, he's got something, he's got something. Indeed, it was a miracle in the Music City. 75 yards to the house for a touchdown, 22 to sixteen, The final, the Titans won it over the Buffalo Bills and continued that magical season. Borky, do you remember that play?
2: Very, very vaguely. So in 2000, I was eight. I remember that it happened and stuff like that, but to tell you that I could pinpoint exactly where I was sitting when that went down, I'd be lying yeah.
0: to you. That was my freshman year of college. Ooh. And vividly remember that. And then... I was a pretty big Titans fan at that point. Went to, uh, I don't guess I went to a game that season, but went to a couple of games over the next few years. That's when the Titans rivalry with Jacksonville was big. You had, uh, Steve McNair obviously as the quarterback for the Titans and you had, uh, Mark, um, Mark Burrell. Brunel. Brunel. I knew Burrell wasn't right. Mark Brunel with, uh, the Jaguars at the time. And man, that was a fun time for the Titans. Obviously that season did not end. The way that the Titans wanted it, six inches short from winning a Super Bowl in Atlanta. What happened? At the uh, yeah, right. What happened? No.
2: What what happened with your
0: fandom of the Titans? Um, honestly, I kind of pivoted to New York when Eli got drafted there.
2: Ah, I see. You going to stick with it now that he's gone?
0: Yeah, I mean, okay. I'm. I mean, you guys know I'm not a huge NFL guy. I enjoy watching it. I like going to the occasional Saints game. Hadn't been to a Titans game in a long time, but I still kind of keep up with the Titans. And yeah, I'll continue to like the Giants, but that's kind of the whole. I became a little bit of a New York sports fan. It's my favorite city and been to some games there and obviously a Yankees fan. So just kind of stuck with it. Just, I don't have, I'm not die hard with any NFL team. Um, now, I never really jumped on board with Peyton Manning and the Colts the way a lot of people did. A lot of people did. Um, so that's just kind of where I am. So I can't celebrate the way Rippy did last week.
2: I don't know if we'll, uh, there are a lot of people that can celebrate the way Rippy did last week.
3: Again, I made my statement to the hey Dad for all other inquiries.
0: <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> That was on this day in sports history, the 8th of January in 2020 years ago. Is that That's 21 years ago, isn't it? Because yeah, we're in 2020, so that happened in 2000. So 21 years ago. How about that? Really, really cool moment in, uh, in NFL history. That moment in sports history brought to you by Acoustic Wave in Ridgeland. Acousticwavems.com is their website. Go there to learn more or give them a call at 855-563-6100. You can join the Gallo Show tomorrow at the Mississippi Economic Council's Capital Day and get started at the Jackson Downtown Convention Center Hotel, with the event focusing on the key issues that affect the state of Mississippi. You'll hear from the governor, the lieutenant governor, the speaker of the House, and other key legislators, and then cap off the day with a luncheon reception. To register for the event, go to MEC. Dot M-S. That's MEC's Capital Day, and it's tomorrow and gets started tomorrow morning at the uh, Jackson Convention Center Hotel. Check out Gallo from six to nine in the morning. Borky, I'm giving it to you today because I've been a disaster this week on the Pearl River Resort Pick of the Day. It's brought to you by the Sportsbook at Timeout Lounge. Um, if you're in the, uh, the Philadelphia area, stop by, check them out. Fun way to uh, to watch a game, to hang out, get some good food. Uh, certainly, today would have been a pretty darn good day to sneak out and play golf. Um, getting unseasonably warm weather in the afternoons in uh, in January, so you can kind of pick and choose on your uh, on your golf days. But uh, pretty cool. Keith, by the way, wanted me to ask Rippey, do you remember that play from two thousand? <laughs>
3: Not really, but Frank wide jersey was the first jersey I ever owned, oddly enough. Was it really? Yes. How about that? I think that was a gift from the grandparents. I can't remember. But, no, not really. I do kind of remember bits and pieces of like being somewhere watching the Super Bowl, but I didn't know what was going on. I think I was barely potty trained. What, four or five? It was in January 2000. Should I have been going in toilets by then?
0: At four or five? Yeah. I don't know. You're kind of a unique guy. Fair enough. Forky, I'll let you choose from these three. Alabama minus three at home tonight against Mississippi State. Auburn minus 14.5 at home against Vanderbilt. Or LSU minus six at home against Arkansas. Oh,
2: you're going to make me choose. I was going to go the NBA route. But uh, I think even though Arkansas is a good road win at uh, Indiana, I'll take the home Tigers tonight.
3: So on the college basketball front, has Big Monday just kinda of flipped to Big Ten playing a bunch of Fridays? Remember when Big Monday was a thing? There's no games anymore on Mondays. There's like two a night total, like anywhere. I don't know if you'll have noticed that, but that trend has been happening in the past I would say at least two years is when I started to notice it. There's really nothing on Monday nights college basketball anymore. Like there's one there, or There's two a games.
0: Big Twelve game. Yeah. And usually there's a women's
3: game. But the, you Big Monday used to be a thing, right? With more games. Yeah. Correct me I mean, if I'm still, wrong.
2: Doesn't ESPN do an NBA thing on Monday? And maybe
0: that was the shift?
3: Maybe. I thought that was Wednesday. Yeah, no, I don't know.
0: I mean I don't you, know. You, you, Big Monday though is still a big twelve game. I mean, that's where you get Bobble Shoes in and somebody or you know, broadcasting the air.
3: You're getting well, actually, on the text line. I just ventured to it for the first time a little bit. 20, 2000, 2020 is 20 years, not 21.
2: Yeah. I didn't want to say anything because I didn't want to be that guy, but.
3: I would gladly be that guy once I saw a text. What did you uh What did you say? I didn't even know. Okay.
0: January 8th of 2000 was 20 20 years 2020. Ago. All right. So, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. You're right. 20 years ago. Thanks. Thanks, Corey. I need a good well, actually, every now and then. Richard, you need more math lessons. 2000 to 2020 is 20 years. I think I was, I don't know what I was doing. 20 years ago today. We'll do a little fact check at the end of the show, right? That's what we need. What's the, what's the, is it around the horn that does that? No, PTI does it. PTI does fact check at the end. Is Tony Reale still the guy, or do they have somebody different that
3: does that now? I believe it's usually Reale, but I think they switch it up. All right. Uh,
0: You can text the show, C Spire text line. That number is 601-879-4395. got a couple of Twitter polls going on. Twitter poll question number one. Will Mississippi State hire a new football coach within 24 hours? 845 votes. 72% of you say no. Twitter poll question number two. Thumbs up or thumbs down on Mike Leach as head coach at Mississippi State? Nearly 1,200 votes, 52% thumbs down on the Pirate in Starkville. Also gotten some uh, some responses. London said would be awesome. Dougie said those thumbs down must be Ole Miss fans. Tommy said he's always got a story to tell. Keith says Mike Leach would be the most Mississippi of coaches in our history. His favorite bar is the Florabama, so he knows the landscape. Kevin says all the down votes are ridiculous. Theon Dog says he's weird. And then there's Yes, Please, Hire Leach. Well, Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Door, Richard Cross, Michael Borkey, Brian Scott Rippey. Hey, Dad's watching wrestling tonight, so he is not with us. Glad to uh, glad to have you along this afternoon. Would
2: have been fitting that Mississippi State announced a coaching hire about
0: an hour ago. Hey Dad would have said, I'll catch you guys tomorrow. There'll be plenty to talk about then. I think. I think that's what he would have said. Um, that's alright. Made it through without him. No Hey Dad, no problem on this Wednesday afternoon. Hoops last night feel like we've avoided this for most of the afternoon. Ole Miss went to Texas A&M. They led by 10 at the half. They were up 29-19. That's right, Texas A&M scored 19 points in the first half of the game, and you go, ooh, that's bad. And it was. Problem is, Ole Miss only scored 18 in the second half and got outscored by 20 and lost by 10. Ole Miss falls to 9-5 on the year. They're 0-1 in league play. Texas A&M, who lost at Arkansas by 10 in their SEC opener, comes back and gets the home win to get to 1-1 in the league, 7-6 overall. Big game for Brian Tyree. He had 21 in the first half, finished the game with 26. And Devontae Shuler had 12 on 5 of 18 shooting. In terms of offensive highlights, that's it for Ole Miss. Texas A&M led by uh, Josh Nebo. He had seventeen. Savion Flag had eleven. Second half of the game, A&M shot it pretty well. Although for the game, they were only three of seventeen from behind the arc. They are the worst three-point shooting team in all of Division One basketball. How do you make sense of last night, Rippy?
3: I don't know how you. I mean, I don't really know how you do. It's their worst loss of the season by far. It's, I mean, they have too many net. Non, I guess non-factor would be the right word on the court at a given time, no matter what lineup they run out there. I mean, they're literally they're only saving grace from being blown out from the jump last night was Bree and Tyree just kind of being unconscious from the perimeter for the first half because I and mean, he was what two of nine in the second half. I mean they had a twelve minute stretch last night to where they had one non with so. Hunter made a mid-range jump shot with, like, five minutes left to go in the first half, and then Schuler made a layup to start the second half. Between that, like, bef- not counting Hunters, like, after that, up until... They had a 12-minute stretch, basically, is what I'm trying to say, where they had one field goal from someone not named Bree and Tyree.
0: Ole scored nine points in the first 15 minutes of the second half.
3: They played nine guys in the game. All nine played in the first half. Outside of Tyree, they had three other guys record a field goal in the first half, and it was one apiece.
0: Hmm. Ole Miss falls in the net rankings from 89 to 60 or from 68 to 89, so they dropped 21 spots in the net. And they do not have a road win this season. 2-1 on a neutral court, 7-1 at home. Rebels host Arkansas on Saturday. And I I don't know that you press the panic button if you're an Ole Miss fan, but they've It feels like you're getting perilously close to the point where, and I hate this phrase, this team just kind of is
3: what it is. They are capable of having Brian and Tyree go off for 30. Well, they're going to have to reinvent themselves somehow in half-court offense. What they're doing right now is not nearly efficient enough. So they're going to have to play differently and find ways to get, you know, they have a couple of shot makers on the team. They have a couple of guys that can create a shot, but you've got to put them in better positions and find ways for them to do that, particularly with confidence. They have a, lot, a couple of guys not playing with confidence. You know, Hadim Seed had scored in double figures in six straight games. He was a non-factor last night, three points, three rebounds. But like, you know, KJ Buffin, the guy, I mean, Blake Henson, a couple of guys that were kind of expecting to make a leap this year haven't done so, or at least haven't played consistently enough to call it a leap. I mean, Buffin didn't score in 32 minutes last night. How is that possible? Beginning of the year, he was really good. I mean, on one hand, it's an accomplishment. He was out there for 32 minutes because he's been saddled with foul trouble so often. So you, they're going to have to do something offensively to become more efficient in, in half court offense in particular because whatever they're doing is not working. And I, I think they know that, but I, it will be fascinating to watch because I, I don't think they're this, like, they seem to have too many guys that are capable, at least on that end. I mean, Devontae Sure really. So you don't think they're as bad as they're playing right now? Offensively, no. Now could they end up struggling and be, have a bad record? I'm not saying that, but I, I don't believe they're they're this bad offensive. Maybe I'm just wrong, but like I mean, 12 points is kind of hollow from Devontae Shuler because he had 12 in the first half and at least eight of those came in the last seven minutes. Because when it came down to last night, they were going to have to have somebody make shots down the stretch once they uh other than Brie and Tyree and Shuler did it in the last six ish minutes, but then that came when the defense kind of gave way and they couldn't get a stop. Yeah. Or Kerm- st- string together enough stops, I should say. They got stops because A&M just really can't hit <laughs> him is awful offensively. The, I would say the most concerning part is, is A&M didn't particularly play very well. No. They played okay in the second they half.
0: They played hard in the second half. And Kermit Davis talked about that after the game. He said we weren't tough,
3: and they played harder than we did in the second half. They missed the toughness and rebounding, particularly of Luis Rodriguez. They missed his rebounding, they missed his defense. Not necessarily going to solve the, solve the shot-making issue, but... I think I beat twenty-four to sixteen on the glass in the second half. I'm pretty sure. Is he coming back? Yeah, he should. I believe so. Another like, couple of weeks, probably. It was six
0: to it was six to eight weeks, and it happened Thanksgiving week. So, I mean, you ought to be getting close. I mean, you're in that six-week range right now.
3: Let a rip, math guy. Give me a date. Not doing that. But yeah, I can't even count to twenty apparently. <laughs> they, uh, you know. So Borky,
0: Arkansas on Saturday. They got two guys that can fill it up in Mason Jones and Isaiah Joe. Um. Yeah, they do. I just. I wonder.
2: We'll learn a lot more about them tonight, will we
0: not? They're pretty good. I mean, they're better than anybody has given them credit for. They're sitting at twelve and one. They've got a road win at Indiana. Um, they've won at home. They've got people back on board. My guess is, and it's not going to be like it was in the late nineties. But my guess is that there will be a bunch of Arkansas fans in the Pavilion on Saturday. But it's also the home SEC opener, and it's a five o'clock tip off. <clears throat> uh, Ole Miss, I would say, desperately needs a big home crowd that they can kind of feed off the energy of. Do you buy into that?
3: Maybe a little bit. I mean, still got to make shots. Yeah, you got to put the ball in the room, whether there's 600 or 6,000 people in there. But it will be interesting to see how they kind of improve and try different things in that regard because it's. It's gotten pretty rough. What were they? They were 7 of 32 or 33 in the second half from hmm. the field. That seems...
2: What else can you do, though? Because it's not like you can get high-percentage shots with your really talented bigs. Uh, I mean, how... you to get
3: guys going to the rim. Yeah, I mean, you have talented they have offensive They 7 players. free throw K.J. Attempts K.J. You've got night. two really good guards. You've got to put them in better positions.
2: Uh, that's that's my question though. Is what what do they need to change in order to to make that work? Because you said highly talented player, offensive player like Buffin. How do you get him going? What is the reinvention that needs to occur?
3: Well, I mean, at the beginning of the year, they played a bunch through him in the high post, and they seemed to be to this is again naked, untrained eye not to be doing as much of that. Maybe some of it's him being off the floor a lot with foul trouble, and them having to go elsewhere at other times. But you know, quite frankly, it's 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 I am glad it is not my job to figure out, I guess. But it's not like A- It's not, like they're different than A&M in the sense where you saw what A&M has out there personnel-wise. They're just kind of saddled with what they are. Although, shout-out to that 5'8 kid. I appreciate what he does. For who? To A&M. Yeah. Plays hard, doesn't he? Scrappy, one might say. Might hit the corner three. Crowd loves him. There were...
0: You can relate? Yeah, somewhat. There were three other games last night in the SEC. Kentucky went to Georgia, hostile road environment, packed house at Stegman last night, and the Cats pulled away late, won at 78-69, and therefore the Pearl River Resort pick of the day did not hit. Florida went to South Carolina, won by 13. Tennessee goes to Missouri, and they win 69-59 in that ballgame. And the story right now with Tennessee is an interesting one. They are without... Lamonte turned it the rest of the way. He was their veteran senior point guard. And it's almost like they picked up a waiver wire guy. And the thing to watch is this Vescovi, Santiago Vescovi, who is from Uruguay and has only been with the team for a while, maybe a little frustrating to his teammates. And he turns it over five times last night, but at the end of the game when they need him, he hits two monster threes, Two big free throws down the stretch. Finishes with 12 points. And Tennessee wins by 10 on the road. All five of their starters in double figures. And Tennessee gets to 1-1 one one in the conference. Three games tonight, including Mississippi State, headed to Tuscaloosa. Game tips off in 15 minutes. Bulldogs against Alabama. And the, uh, what, the other two games you've got tonight are Vanderbilt at Auburn. Auburn, big favorite. 14.5 at home, only undefeated team in the SEC. And LSU is a six point favorite at home against Arkansas. Let's take a quick timeout, and we'll come back and wrap up the Wednesday edition of Sports Talk Mississippi with you.